the Lonely Office, your playbook for navigating the messy line between work and life. Our topics are sourced from real anonymous workplace conversations happening within Glassdoor communities. From getting fired for being pregnant, which is insane, to getting hired at a quote-unquote evil corporation, we discuss timely work-life issues so you don't have to brave the professional world alone. We've talked a lot about this on the show before. This has been a theme that keeps coming up. Have I talked about David or is this the first time? This is the first time I hear David's name. Okay. David is a 35-year-old manager and he's finishing up a lovely dinner with his family. Just David, his wife, and their only daughter. It's like a Hallmark movie. Okay. So they finish dinner with warm smiles all around and they talk with their 10-year-old daughter about her future and the college she wants to attend. And just as the scene is about to end, David takes out his phone and he snaps a picture of his unsuspecting wife and daughter. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) He then, strangely and out of habit, begins to write a post on LinkedIn about the values of family dinner time and how it has made a positive impact on him and his whole family. Now, the lesson of this post is meant to draw a correlation between family dinner and the importance of the quality time he spends with his employees outside the office. And like how those bonding experiences or whatever have transformed his employees into his second family. Yeah, oh gosh. (laughs) Here we go. But just as he's about to post on LinkedIn, his daughter asks, Dad, why are you taking pictures of us? And he responds, oh, I'm posting it for all my work friends to see. The daughter says, but dad, what does having dinner with us have anything to do with your work? In that same vein, Matt, David stops in his tracks, his fingers trembling above the post button on his phone. He puts the phone down and he hugs his daughter. And he thinks to himself, what the hell am I doing? And who the hell have I become? It went from Hallmark movie to HBO. (laughs) Who am I? (laughs) When I first came across this story, this is a Scorsese like, you wrote this out like, this is on the nose. Yeah, I got dark towards the end. And by the way, I know there's worse stuff we're going to dive into or more cringy stuff. But I think what the story does, though, is that it does put us right into the middle of a fairly common experience that I'm receiving and seeing on LinkedIn. I'm seeing posts like this all the time. At least in that moment, David was like, something was off. Something about his daughter's question centered him. And he's like, oh, man. It's always the children or always your kids that ask some of the most profound questions that kick you into reality again. Always. But yeah, so like that was a potential cringy moment that David avoided. Had he posted, I'm sure he would have been... Ridiculed by his colleagues. (laughs) There you go. And I think that's because cringe culture is quite rampant right now, right? Especially online and especially on professional networks like LinkedIn. It's not that we don't witness these moments on TV or Twitter or Instagram. It's just that we expect to come across them in those social mediums, but we don't necessarily expect to read them or come across them on a network where your boss and his or her colleagues hang out. Yeah. So cringe is prevalent. And it's so prevalent that there are groups consisting of millions of members, online groups, whose sole mission is to police our most embarrassing... (laughs) face wincing (laughs) posts across social media. We're going to be getting to a number of examples today, but I just wanted to kick off with one particular example. Even though this one was brought on LinkedIn, we will not mention the name, 
But the individual here is a self-proclaimed Gen Z founder. Oh, geez. Everyone's a founder. No offense, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) No offense taken. But kind of sharing what he deems to be pearls of advice emanating from all four or five years of his startup founding experience. So he says, if I could legally mandate our team to follow a diet, fitness, education, and self-care plan, I would do so in a heartbeat. Now, while I can't legally enforce that, here's what I think it would look like. He has like a laundry list of items here. Here we go. Bear in mind, he's posting this on LinkedIn to first, second, third degree connections. Guided meditation, Mm -hmm. one gallon of water, one homemade wellness shot, apple cider vinegar, turmeric, ginger, and I won't go through the rest of it. (laughs) I do a lot of these, actually. Do you do a wellness shot with vinegar? I take a sip of vinegar every day. Okay. I was saying he was missing the Brazilian nuts here in his list. Oh, yeah. We talked about Brazilian nuts. Brain plasticity, We did talk about the Brazilian nuts. And and he he just goes on. Intermittent fasting, five-year goals, one-day dopamine detox. And so this is his laundry list of items. Can you imagine if you worked for this guy? Very off-putting. Yes. (laughs) Beyond posts like this one, I think at a minimum, we've all been trapped in the I'm thrilled to announce infinity loop of new job proclamations made by our third degree connections on LinkedIn. And that really begs the question, do we really care? And why is the algorithm putting this in my feed? We're also going to delve deeper and discuss, do these posts really infringe on our collective sensibilities? Or are they more telling about who we are and our insatiable appetites for digital recognition of our professional achievements? We always have to go deeper, as Aaron knows. We can't just keep it at that. (laughs) Always. When you listed some of those things, listen, I've incorporated some of these things in my life, like turmeric, and when he's even talking about meditation. But what makes it cringy isn't that idea of what they think people should do or they should do. But once you post it on a work platform, it gets weird. I think in that case, as the boss or the CEO of a small startup, you figure there's a lot that can go wrong when you're trying to make some advice on a public platform to your employees versus just taking them into a room. But there are some cases where hiring manager types and recruiter types try to basically educate or school young professionals on how to get hired. And it just comes off as really disingenuous. I'll just kind of give one example. Again, no names here. So in this particular case, some president at a research and insights firm, analytics firm, is speaking to the young Gen Z professional base here. Hey, young professional, why should I hire you? Your 3.7 GPA, perhaps? Nah, that doesn't tell me about you. Your health sciences major? Nah, doesn't tell me about you. Your internship at Facebook? Nope. I want to know why I should hire you. You need to convey to me what makes you unique, what you're passionate about, and what you have to offer. Otherwise, you're just a piece of paper. I don't think I'm going to make it through this podcast. (laughs) So great. Aaron, you have something on the tip of your tongue there. You just want to get it out. So no, I'm foaming at the mouth because I have another example in this same kind of thing. Shoot. But here's the thing though. If you look, there's 7,000 hearts. Who are these people who are advocating this? (laughs) Listen, I love our listeners. It's probably one of you. (laughs) At least one of you. No, I'm not saying all of you. I'm saying, listen, you don't get 7,000 likes. Who is liking that? That's quite a lot for LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is no Twitter. Maybe he paid for the likes. Maybe it is paid, but what's keeping this content alive? If it's cringy, shouldn't it be in the dark corners 
not elevated by the algorithm. Not in the illuminating light of your feed. That's what you're getting at. I do think a lot of people left Facebook because it was a toxic environment or for whatever reason. And Mm -hmm. now they're just posting the things that they would have posted on Facebook on LinkedIn. Mm. There are people who are scrolling the way they used to scroll through Facebook and liking third degree connections, random. Yeah. The exiles from Twitter too, right? So you start bringing some of that behavior into the platform. Speaking of behavior, this is one from, it appears to be a cybersecurity professional. I'm going to read the post as I hear it in my head. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a secret. <laughs> Come closer. Nah, closer than that. God. You ready? My content here is written in code. And if you're the kind of person who looks at it and takes it at face value, it isn't intended for you. I don't deal with low thinkers. Smart people look at my stuff and then think about it. If you're confused about comments I make that are apparently contradictory or otherwise out of alignment, you don't get it. You don't have the tools. <laughs> okay. I can't take it anymore. I have to cut this Can I just off. get the last line? What's the <laughs> last line? <laughs> last line. Now go and watch some Peppa Pig. What? <laughs> it might be too high level for you, though. I'm a low thinker because I have no idea what that was supposed to mean. Look, that one must be a satire account. <laughs> I like Peppa Pig. There's some s- satire accounts on LinkedIn that pass the oh, that, that, maybe that's that is outrageous. That is. And by the way, I have to applaud you, Aaron. Your theater major really <laughs> shone through there. That was... <laughs> so uh, we're having too much fun here. So let's go on for a few more rounds and then we'll get into the serious part of today's discussion. But back to this theme of recruiters. This is a young hiring manager who talks about this rigorous interview process right. for his business analyst role. So he says, two months have passed since my original post on best practices getting into the interview process for an analyst role in my firm. We recently closed the BA role. In 51 days, we had 3,190 applications. From here, we had 21 applicants, then he goes on, and then he has a list and he says, this represents the following, 0.066%, only 21 of 3,100 candidates that applied made it to the first round, and then he goes down, 38% passed the recruitment screen. Here's the kicker. At the very end, he says, 0%. Zero out of two received an offer. What? (laughs) That's because we ultimately ended up offering it to an internal candidate. No! Why would you even share that? (laughs) So here he professes this long, arduous, torturous process, and all 3,100 waste their time. Because the role just went to an internal candidate. Why would he post this? Uh, It's unbelievable. I know we have to move on to a substantive point here. (laughs) Matt, can I share one more with Leia and you? Let's do it. This is a short one, but it's really cringy, I think. A homeless man taught me a valuable lesson at the end of a grueling 22-hour shift last night. Passing what little cash I had on me at the time, he asked me if I wanted to know how the money would be spent, which I declined. When he asked why, I made my mind whirl and I coined the wave phrase, kindness shouldn't need a reason. (laughs) I don't know exactly why I said it at the time, but you know, it's been on my mind all morning. (laughs) Kindness doesn't need a reason. And I believe I will be sticking to that one. There are so many where people post about like helping a homeless person. It's like a trend on LinkedIn to post, sure, but it's weird to post about it. 
if you're going to be kind, be kind, right? But the difference is be kind and don't hire a camera crew. Okay. And what's weird is to use it, the kindness to promote growing new business or getting a like. Yeah. To your point, it's kind of yeah. being co-opted. The philanthropy or the generosity here is being co-opted for the purposes of appearing that way, maybe garnering some client's affection. Even if it's corny or hokey or Hallmarkish, that's great. Then it should be on a storytelling podcast or it should be on a Hallmark channel. Right. And this whole sort of the careerist mentality of now taking this stuff and putting it on a platform where it does cross those boundaries. And that's where the cringe comes from. So I'm going to give credit to this one, to this point from Sean Kernan. He's like a financial analyst turned writer on Quora and Medium. He describes LinkedIn's content category. So there's like a new type of content format that has emerged from all these cringy posts. And he describes it as broetry. Okay. <laughs> and broetry <laughs> reads with tiny punctuated sentences, just like a staccato mm-hmm. poetry, these like interrupted pulses. And the difference, of course, is that these are not poets by any means. These are bro life coaches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he gives an example here. Can you do that, Matt? Can you do it for us? Oh, yeah. Can you act, Matt? Okay, I'll try it. I'm going to channel my Aaron theatrical <laughs> abilities here. I got dumped. I got fired. Wrecked my car, but I kept enduring. Now I am a CEO with $100 million revenue. <laughs> you got to be more dramatic. I was dumped. I was fired. <laughs> no, yeah, I can't do it true. either. It's too hard. That's a really common format on LinkedIn. And then it they'll, it'll have like thousands of likes to your point, Aaron. What's the phrase? It's broetry. Broetry. <laughs> it's broetry. You see it adopted a lot by the kind of coaching personas that we've talked about right. in the past. It's this sort of algorithmically rewarded process. And listen, the format sort of is like you write one sentence and so that it creates a hook for the see more right. option. Oh, yeah. Right. Yesterday I did something horrific. And then you're like, well, I have to hit more. <laughs> Cliffhanger. <laughs> I quit my job. And that's like, okay, here we go. And then there's the sale and the call to action at the end. So the madness has a rationality. I had my own experience with the LinkedIn content creator program. I'd love to share it. It was a brief experience. It wasn't in person. I didn't even know that that existed. Yes, it does. It's a digital only experience, at least the one I had. I was invited to join a seminar with people coming. And these are folks who may be interested in establishing their voice on LinkedIn and garnering a following. What struck me most was how calculated it all was. So the LinkedIn folks or the program folks encouraged all of us to find really specific content topics or industry niches so that we can uncover our audiences. They encouraged creators not to be discouraged by the lack of engagement their content achieved. So you know, even if your content wasn't garnering engagement, that's not because of bad content or cringy posts. You just got to keep throwing darts at the board, posting across different topics until you hit a bullseye. You just keep trying. And it was clear what kept the content aspirations of everyone alive was the belief they too could achieve a following, no matter how small, by just tuning their voice and content strategy. So it's not like go experience or school yourself about that topic. No, no, it's more about throwing darts at the board and I left with the impression that it felt like a room of boosters. Mm. Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but welcome to the cult of LinkedIn boosterism. What is the end goal to creating a following on LinkedIn? I mean, I understand if you're a headhunter and you're trying to get clients or you're one of these people who review your resume for you. Mm-hmm. So they just post constantly about what's wrong with your resume until 
they capture your attention. You're like, fine, review my resume for me. I know, Matt, you've got a decent following on LinkedIn and my husband Mm. does too, which I like to tease him about. Yeah. He's like, I've got more LinkedIn followers than you have Instagram followers. I'm like, okay, loser. (laughs) That's right. For the folks who were in part of this program, I think the intention was to try to garner a following along a niche or industry that somewhat overlapped with your occupation. And so if you can establish yourself as someone who has a voice with interesting things to say within your occupation, then you can see how you can maybe can monetize that. And obviously from LinkedIn's or any platform, let's not isolate LinkedIn, any platform's perspective, they're in it for the content game. They get more content in the feed, then they can throw advertising up there. Leia, I wanted to ask you, have you used LinkedIn for yourself? And I searched, I'm like, I don't think she's posted in two and a half years, right? I don't post things on LinkedIn. I'll confess. The only thing I do (laughs) is if my husband posts something, like an article that was written about something cool that he was involved with, I will like it. So then the people that I know in my professional network will see that he did this cool thing. Right. Or if someone that I work with, again, has like posted something about a project that I worked on, I'll like it. I have a lot of friends who are on LinkedIn, though, every single day. For instance, one of our colleagues posted about their divorce. And so one of my friends was like, did you see that this happened? And I'm like, I didn't know we were posting about personal things like divorce on LinkedIn. What I was going to share real quickly, why I use LinkedIn, aside from I do see a good amount of my peers in the founding startup tech space there. And it does help me understand what they're working on. So that's for inspiration reasons or competitive reasons. But what I've done, and I've tried this, is I'll go and open up the LinkedIn app and I'll turn on the microphone very consciously associated with the app. And then over the course of the day, I'll purposely speak into it kind of topics really that I want to learn more. Yes. Then I'll turn off the microphone And then lo and behold, I start getting news and companies doing some of that stuff I'm talking about in my feed. It's listening. It's listening. I benefit from it, though, because I purposely tailor my talk about Ah. the topics I want to learn more about. And now I'm getting all this information like, oh, this startup I didn't know about is working about an idea that I'm thinking about. And it just kind of comes up in my feed. So you're sort of customizing your algorithm in sort of an interesting way. You're like a ninja. Matt is better at LinkedIn than us. I think that's the takeaway. (laughs) So let me ask, do you get a lot of this cringe stuff in your feed? Honestly, I don't. So that's why for me, some of these posts were hilarious. I've long been a member of the LinkedIn Cringe Bowl. They have a version of that on Reddit and in Fishbowl Glassdoor. And I love reading those posts hilarious. So that's where I get exposed to it. But it doesn't show up in my feed. And I think it's just because the way I've co-opted the algorithm I think it's also, Matt, you've got to have connections on LinkedIn that are themselves cringy who like these things. So then you see that they've liked it. I have to find those folks and just connect with them on LinkedIn. Yeah, you've got to. Send me a list after this episode and I can just go follow them. (laughs) Oh, no. Do these posts really infringe on our collective sensibilities? Or maybe, just maybe, they're reflecting the reality or the phenomena of our social and professional lives converging. If you just like account for the longer working hours that we all do, almost 60% of your day is spent at work. So it's almost inevitable that our social lives creep into our professional lives. So maybe LinkedIn is just surfacing this social content because it's part of an organic evolution of the way we blend our social professional lives. I think that's a fair point. But I also feel like, in my mind, LinkedIn is still a business networking. It's our modern day version of giving a business card to someone or having them in your Rolodex. So to me, it still feels 
all and to get myself in trouble. As a mom <laughs> who has many times been on maternity leave, I still find it strange when people list parenting accomplishments on their LinkedIn as though it is business <laughs> or like work. I just think listing yourself as like, I'm a mother and security specialist is a little bit strange. Can I just admit, I think as of six months ago, I had the word father in my LinkedIn headline, but I've removed it. I just want to say that. <laughs> Did someone tell you it was cringe, man? <laughs> I respect you for being, I think it's great to be proud of being a parent. I agree. It's like, are you using it to get ahead? I That's right. Well, but it's not, the, I mean, because David was thinking the same thing in the story, right? There is a line in that story where it said, strangely, but habitually, out of habit. And a lot of the times we're mirroring the activity of things that we see on LinkedIn. It's not even that it's a bad intention. You're just seeing peers. It's a competitive nature. Maybe some people are just going, well, I guess that's what you do here. And we just put father of three, like pasta enthusiast, storyteller, like we could do all that. And then you get a sponsorship from Prego, I guess. <laughs> That makes sense. But really, what is it? We've said it without saying it. And David's daughter clearly said it, which is, there's a boundary here, dad. Yeah. You can have a great relationship with your employees and you can have a great dinner with us, dad, but it's not a necessary behavior that you have to then exploit your relationship with us to post on LinkedIn. Or like I was looking at a research here from Z, which was a picture of like an unsuspecting kid sleeping in the back seat. It's not MySpace or Facebook. This is LinkedIn. Your kid's sleeping. Why are you taking pictures of your kid? He didn't ask you to take a picture. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Are those boundaries actually something that we really need? Or is this just an inevitable convergence? As I look at this, I think there's a LinkedIn lens we could talk about. And then there's the broader, because, you know, we know cringe moments live on all platforms, right? TV and whatnot. But from a LinkedIn specific lens, I think people would be surprised to hear that the earliest versions of LinkedIn, and this is coming from the founder of LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman, I think it was like his series B deck. He was raising money for investors. He called it People Search 2.0. He saw LinkedIn as a yellow pages for professionals. And so what's interesting to me, I think LinkedIn is the last standing real social network. And what I mean by that is, a social network that's still somewhat built around identity, even though it's professional identity. So if you go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, those have morphed into social media platforms where the prioritization is content, the news you read, even if the news are URLs shared by your friends, whereas LinkedIn still has a bit of that original ethos that the founder Reid Hoffman had for the network of being a yellow page is professional. I still primarily use LinkedIn just to look up people. A lot of others do that as well. So that can be part of the reason why we find it cringy. Our other networks have morphed into media, but this one we're still grasping onto. Well, I just Googled it. When was LinkedIn founded? I didn't realize that LinkedIn was 20 years old. I guess Facebook is the only one that I've been on for longer than LinkedIn. It's been a long time. So maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just being old and persnickety, if that's a word. And I just want LinkedIn to be what it used to be when I graduated from college. And maybe Gen Z is totally fine with these like, I've got one on my feed right now. I'm looking at it. Why your smallest interactions are actually your biggest. And then there's a see more. It goes on for like 15 paragraphs. And there's a video of Usain Bolt. Like, what is this? 
Well, who's reading these? Some of these have like 100,000 likes. There's one on my feed about leadership with 100,000 likes. And I swear to you, it goes on and on. I can't even read it. I can't even read it for you guys because I don't have the attention span. I'm telling you, if you took a poll, it would be that 97% of the people didn't read past the first two lines. I think that LinkedIn solved for a great problem. Clearly, I love the Yellow Pages thing. I think it's great to find and connect with people in an authentic way. But again, what does this require? It requires restraint, right? Because instead of just posting, hey, I just changed jobs, and it's now turning into that small percentage of really loud voices that are content creators or quote unquote successful on LinkedIn. Is that just a natural part of who we are that we're going to take advantage of the playing field? Right. Years ago, I turned off the automatic push post when my job changed or when I got a promotion because I felt like even that was too braggy, which is weird because obviously LinkedIn is about self-promotion. I turned that off because sometimes I had another job in the works while I was at the other job. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Didn't want to raise any eyebrows. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Are kids coming out of college? Kids kind of just sound old. People graduating from college, are they encouraged to become like LinkedIn personalities as a way to get a job? Because I'm not seeing someone's post about feeding a stray dog and thinking, let me see if this person's interested in marketing. These cringy posts are not being made by Gen Z or even young millennials. You know, the vast majority of shares are the young generation teasing the older. Just making fun of, okay, got it. (laughs) We talked about the convergence going on of social professional lives. And in many ways, Perhaps that's what's happening within LinkedIn. We also talked about Twitter and people exiled from those platforms, leaving Facebook, looking for a substitute, maybe using LinkedIn that way. One meta trend, I would say, that's not specific to LinkedIn, I think it's all platforms, is the way we, over the last two decades specifically, have been capturing our news. And if you look at the architecture of these platforms, there's the push versus pull. Historically, we used to go to articles, navigate to the website, read the blog, Uh, Or if it was print paper, go to the paper. And we would, in that sense, pull information. We would go there. With Facebook and and then RSS feeds, they introduced an architecture around push. So all the content types, news article types, they're all being pushed into one channel, one vertical channel. And that's natural state of convergence. And I think the best way to grasp this is if you were to take a virgin social media user from the year 2000, someone who only ever discovered content in an article form online or via newspaper and exposed them to a social media feed for the first time, I guarantee you they would experience a sort of psychological whiplash as they scroll down, Hmm. intermittently hitting images between Taylor Swift's new boyfriend and then shifting to victims of the Ukraine or Middle East war. We've become desensitized to this consolidation effect. It's a new normal of sorts, technology-enabled convergence that's happening. And I think why... We are comfortable to a degree seeing this stuff in any feed. It doesn't have to be LinkedIn feed. I'm not comfortable with it. It's like a Stockholm syndrome thing occurring where it's like a new normal. It's a very uncomfortable thing to go into a platform and to get a psychological whiplash where you're just going on to say, look at some funny memes, or maybe you want to go to Times and read something, but it goes from that to then this other thing and then some jarring imagery. I'm uncomfortable with how mashed up that is. And you know who else is uncomfortable with it? David's daughter is. Mm. Mm. David's daughter never signed up to become a reality show. If you're the Kardashian family or whatever family that has the latest reality show going out, you're getting some compensation. The daughter's thinking like, geez, I don't even have my own makeup line, let alone sign off for my image in your, your news. I mean, yeah, why? Like, what are we getting for that? 
we talked about this natural convergence. And you also made the point with the social media episode that we had around there being sort of the need for oversight. In this space, LinkedIn or otherwise, when we're looking at that convergence, do you think that in order to bring some sort of balance and avoid that psychological whiplash that something's got to give? Or is this just sort of the direction we're going and we're going to just see what's around the corner as we crash and burn? Or are these systems sort of destined to fail? As much as we may think the majority of us are spending all our times in our feeds and consuming media, there's still, let's call it a strong percentage of us that still enjoy long form reading and are consuming information in different ways. And so I think within the realm of technology, maybe what's more realistic is like some accountability, these feeds and the platforms operating them. I think there is a rise public opinion that there needs to be more interpretability and accountability around algorithms. I think that's definitely a majority opinion based upon a lot of polls that have been out there. And I think part of that accountability probably should go towards not just like the mental health component, but a bit more detail of what types of content and at what frequency, and you know, we talk about like the jarring images of going the whiplash effect, like that all falls within the mental health bucket, but mental health is so broad, right? I think you really need to diagnose that in a deeper fashion and ask some of these companies to be more accountable for their algorithm in that way. So I think that's probably more likely. Speaking of accountability, if you're on these platforms, you know how you can help? Stop liking these weird posts. Right now, <laughs> if I see another light bulb, unless, I'm going to lose my mind. Unless you're one of my connections. <laughs> unless it's me, Leia, or Matt. My connections can keep <laughs> liking them because I like seeing them pop up. Hey, you made it. Thanks for tuning into The Lonely Office. If you like what you heard, follow us on all major podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. And make sure and tap five stars and leave a review. I know everyone says it, but it actually helps others like you discover the show. Remember, the topics you hear us talk about on the show are sourced from Glassdoor communities, where professionals are having candid conversations about their careers anonymously with others in their industry. To be part of that conversation, download the Glassdoor app. And when you're in the app, make sure and join the Lonely Office Bowl. That's where we are. When you're there, you can suggest a topic idea or an episode idea, or you can make it more formal and email us at thelonelyoffice at glassdoor.com. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.